Welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning and welcome to this uh, wonderful Zwift Tour de France podcast, episode two, coming straight away from the roads of the Tour de France. Uh, I was going to say France, but no, we are not as yet in France. Uh, and before I introduce to our guest, just want to remind you that uh, you can subscribe to our podcast uh, on iTunes or on your favorite uh, podcast platform. And if you subscribe, then we'll deliver this podcast to you every morning. You won't have to do anything. It would come to you. Our guest today, co-host of the day, is a familiar voice on this podcast and also the publishing editor of the magazine Ride, Rob Arnold from Ride Media. Hi, Rob. Hello. It's good to be here, Christophe. It's nice to have a, a familiar voice on, on the podcast with us. What a stage we had yesterday. Weather was utterly rubbish uh, and it got even more rubbish as we went along. I was optimistic, remember, at the start of the day we talked and I said, oh, it should clear because that's how the prologue has been in the time that I've gone to the tour. It can be rainy in advance of the, the racing and then it clears up. But unfortunately, Dusseldorf, it was wet and wet and then pretty much wetter. Typically, I mean, the saying is you don't win the tour on a stage like this, you can lose it. Someone did it yesterday. Someone lost it. Valverde. Yeah, it's a great shame. I mean, everyone's seen the crash. It's probably been on high rotation. There's gifts of going out, I'm sure. And uh, people don't really want to see that kind of thing end the rider for the race and it's a great shame if if you hark back it was probably 95 where Chris Boardman was one of the big favorites for the for the yellow jersey in the prologue it was wet in Saint-Brouac and he crashed and that was the end of his tour and then we, we've got a, a new yellow jersey that's what we were expecting but not the yellow jersey we were expecting Garen Thomas well I think a lot of people were expecting Garen to have a good tour I think he's down as their plan B as Sky like to have and uh, he's a formidable rider fantastic pursuer in the in in years gone by and now he's, he's come out and he's you know achieved a, a massive milestone for Welsh cycling I don't, I, I'm trying to think if there was any other Welshman who have worn the yellow jersey but uh, as, as far as my recall goes it's a first for Wales so. We were talking yesterday with Macau about uh, how a stage like this can can give you a Jackie Durand uh, effect we definitely had a Jackie Durand effect yesterday which is to say a surprise when the weather is poor. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I don't think Garen's a surprise like Jackie Durand. Like, let's, let's be clear, times have changed since those days. But, uh, I mean, there was a lot of caution. You, you could see that Richie and Tony Martin and others were giving it the, all that they could, but they, they couldn't afford to crash. Let's talk about Tony Martin. Uh, it's almost like he, he focused on that particular stage way back in the year because it's his home soil. He's the world champion, starts with a time trial. I mean, his name was written all over and basically clearly he failed. Yes, but by, uh, he wanted yellow. He's worn the yellow jersey before, but not from a time trial, ironically. But... Um, uh, I watched him, I spent a lot of time watching him in the warm-up and, and he, you know, is just a very pragmatic character. He doesn't get sort of overwhelmed by any occasion. He's very, he knows what he's doing. He's won lots of world championships. He's uh, a master against the clock. It was just, the, I think, the road surface that probably hindered him as, as terms, in terms of power and, uh, you know, living up to expectation. He, he could have done it, but it's just the white lines on the road, when they're slippery, they're super slippery. And, and these riders know 
how far they can push the bike. Uh, I'm sure he didn't want another Valverde incident happening to him. And it's a great shame for for German cycling. I mean, it, there's this one, uh, the Grand Depart is in Dusseldorf, but then we're off to Belgium. So. When I say he failed, I mean, in a way, just saying, if you look on paper, the world champion of the actual event on home soil, I mean, that was, his name was written on it, almost on that jersey. And then at the end of the day, Garen Thomas today will wear the yellow jersey. That's it, you know, but these things happen, you know, like uh, in a couple of days' time we'll be in Luxembourg. I remember 2002 and Ruben Battagliardi wore the yellow jersey on the opening day and and no one ever uttered his name before. So it's not like we're in that scenario. It's not a total surprise. Geraint Thomas is a class bike rider. Um, His, his, you know, we could speak about his potential. Uh, he, He... but it, it's beyond potential. He went to the Giro as the leader of Team Sky. He's a rider with with a, a similar upbringing to, say, Wiggins, where he was a pursuer by heritage. Uh, he came from the track. He knew he had to lose some weight. I've spoken to him at length about some of the work that he's done on his diet. Um, he, he wanted to come down. I can't remember the specifics of the numbers, but he wanted to drop six to seven kilos from what he was racing with, for example, when he won gold in Beijing as a team pursuer. Um, but and he's done that. He's lean as he he came past me uh, when I was wandering the straights uh, before the time trial, and and you do a double take. You know they're skinny. You know they're in absolutely uh, in prime condition. But when you see them pass in tour form, they look vacuum packed. You know, super lean, fantastic. And uh, his position on the bike is something to admire. He. Uh, his composure. I'm, I'm very happy for the young man. Okay, and Richie Porte, he said he was a bit nervous at the end of the stage. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world for him. The DM is on, is on the tour. We'll talk actually with uh, Jim Okwitz uh, from uh, DMC a, a little bit later. But what do you think? How, how does Richie feel this morning? Just just about to start the new, the new day. Uh, my take on it is that he's going to be pretty confident, pretty happy with how things went. Uh, what, what was great for BMC is you have Stefan Kung, who's obviously, he was nominated as the leader for time trial. He came second in the stage. He wasn't far off the yellow jersey. It could have been a Rowan Dennis equivalent repeat, you know, um, from a couple of years ago. Although we weren't going to break any average speed records in, in Dusseldorf in, in conditions like they had. They've got through uh, the opening stage safely. Okay, Nico Roach had a crash, but he, he you know, he's tough as nails, he'll be fine. Uh, I don't think it was a severe one for him. Uh, and we, uh, you know, I think Richie just basically wanted to survive, not have the stress. Team Sky's in an interesting predicament because they don't really want to defend the yellow jersey quite so early and if you look back at their successes in the Tour de France so they've won four titles but they've never won on the opening day I say that but now I'm sort of pondering but I think that's true careful and we know people are going to check out and uh, hold you to account on Twitter <laughs> uh, uh, please be kind <laughs> that's what Twitter is for <laughs> okay we take a, a short break and when we come back we have a special chat with uh, Matthew Heyman Zwift is an indoor cycling platform where you can connect with a global community of cyclists at any time. You can chat with people all over the world, share in group rides, get encouragement from total strangers right on, who quickly become your new riding buddies and train harder and faster with competition on a global scale. Check out Zwift for yourself at Zwift.com today. 
Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Tour de France podcast. Don't forget that you can uh, follow us on uh, Twitter where we are at Cycling Central and you can also uh, use the hashtag, hashtag SBS TDF, but I'm sure you know all this. Right now, let's have a listen to this uh, exclusive one-on-one interview I just had with uh, uh, Matthew Hemon at the back of a van, back of the Eureka van. First time for me, I did an interview at the, the back of a van. Matthew uh, was really kind to talk to us and uh, we talk about how he prepared for this sort of front and his role inside this team, Eureka Scott, especially when we know Simon Garrens is not part of this team. Let's have a listen. Thanks uh, for having me, yeah. This year, Tour de France, um, what are your expectations? Where, where do you see yourself making an impact on what stages and, and what about Eureka Scott as well? Yeah, look, uh, there's, a, there's a fair chance I might not make much of an impact uh, Uh, according to the general public, but, but uh, you thought of, you thought of that for Rubio as well, and then you won it. So yeah, yeah, no, no. But uh, look, yeah, I'm um, you know I'm here for the team, and, and it's a role that I enjoy. And you know we've got a bit of a different. You know, so many years this team has been about uh, started off with a lot of sprinters that started off um, trying to just go for the team's time trial, trying to get jerseys and, and, and going for stages. And we had really attacking riders and very opportunistic uh, we used to pick a stage and uh, really really go all in on the stage and and the last few years now the last two grand you know Esteban Chavez finished on the on the podium in the last two grand tours he's raced and uh, even last year fourth at Tour de France white jersey so um, yeah a real shift for the whole team and uh, and that's that's carried on into this Tour de France and we're here with a couple of guys for GC and um, Yeah, and I'm part of that, and uh, it'd have to go pretty, pretty astray, and we'd have to have a, a few problems for for that game plan to change, and for us to start going for stages again. But there might be some opportunities along the way. Simon Garance is not here. Um, yeah. What 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 was your reaction when you sort of learned uh, the natural leader that Simon uh, always was for this team was not going to be on the road this year, and and how does he feel? Do you know have you been in contact with him? Uh, I've only been in contact with him, uh, just asking how he was. Uh, you know, he's a he's won many, many great races and uh, has been a you know a big part of this team. Has carried this team for so many years, and 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 I don't think there's anybody on this team that uh, underestimates uh, the class of him. And I think it was probably a very, very hard decision um, to to leave him out of the team this year. Um, her team got broken down into. You know, uh, it, it might look like there's nine riders, but actually um, there's a small groups of, of two or three riders um, for each different uh, discipline almost inside the team. So uh, you have a number of climbers, a number of helpers. and So even though it does look like, yeah, you've got nine riders to fill, um, yeah, I think it was a hard decision for the team and he's been such a star and he's been such an... Uh, you know the poster boy for the team for so many years um it'd be hard i think he understands uh, to a certain extent and um but here we are and we're looking forward to trying to to, to ride gc uh if we talk about you um i think my colleague dave mckenzie was on the podcast yesterday yeah. we talked about you and he said uh geez i think he talked to you this he said you're recramming them in uh <laughs> you want you want uh, your your first pair of or actually late in your career and then now it's your fourth tour de france i was 36 when i Did my first tour which is pretty late um, how do you feel about this yeah look uh, it scares me sometimes when I look about how long I've been around for and uh, you start telling stories about which riders you've raced with um, 
who have not only long stopped, um, some of them are you know, very much uh, with pension at the moment. Uh, some of them are commentating in TV with them, us. Some of them uh, I'm racing with their children. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, look, it keeps me young. I still love being on the road with the team. Um, I still have great support from home, my family. My wife is unbelievable to, you know, to support me, not only, you know, to be able to do a sport like this um, and, and have an understanding family at home um, makes a, a massive difference. And, uh, you know, That's one of the biggest things that, that her support to say, look, you know, I still see you having fun. I still see you enjoying this. And while I'm still doing it at this level, I don't see why I should stop. So it's, uh, it's good. I don't, I don't feel it. It gets mentioned. We have a laugh about it, how old I am. But the boys keep me young. That's good. And one last question. Uh, tonight we're finishing in uh, uh, Liège. Do you, uh, how do you approach this stage? It's going to be fast. Yeah. Uh, we have a very fast finish. How do you guys approach this? Because like you said, you used to have some big sprinters, yeah. but this year is a bit different. How, how do you guys prepare for this, for this stage tonight? Yeah, look, so other years we'd be uh, nitpicking the final 5K. We'd be concentrating on that. We'd be going running through all those turns and... And this year, even with the new rules about uh, the brakes and the peloton, um, we'll be sitting down and we'll be looking at any areas. I mean, I know some of those roads. I train around there. I live not far from here. So uh, I rode the, rode the course the other day. Um, it's fairly straightforward. And so, yeah, it goes to a total different thing. Instead of being a stage, we focus on it in two ways. It'll be a day for the for the GC guys and our, both our GC guys are young guys so it'll be a good day for them to get over those kind of nerves of being here at the Tour de France even though uh, Simon's, Simon Yates has been here uh, before it's still the first time he's come in and, and, and you know riding GC and openly uh, you know saying that he's going for the white jersey so that's a different pressure so for those guys just to get through the day and for me to it's it's actually one of my days on where I'm road captain I'm looking after them and I feel responsible for the guys to make sure we don't lose any time and and things are status quo uh, tonight thank, thank you for your time uh, Matthew it's always a lovely uh, uh, talking to you and we follow you all around uh, the all around the route uh, I must say it's the first time I'm doing an interview back of a van <laughs> yeah all right and uh, to all those Swifters out there right on thank you No worries. And we are back. Uh, you're listening to the uh, Zwift podcast, the Zwift Tour de France podcast, and I'm still with uh, Rob. Uh, Rob, what a nice bloke Matthew Hemmen is. Uh, I mean, he is, you know, Australian cyclist of the year uh, for a reason. People just, he, he won the People's Choice vote. He won uh, because of just the, the way that he presents. He, he tells a good story, but he, he's polite every step of the way. Um, uh, who can not like Matthew Hemmen? Uh, what do you think about his position in the team now? We talked, we, you just heard in the interview, uh, he's, he's a, the road captain on some stages, uh, albeit the one tonight. Mm -hmm. But he's also, you know, we talked about uh, the fact that Simon Garrens is not within the team. And he's, I think what you say, he, rep he replied, you can guess he replied in this interview very politely. Uh, but he's got some sort of a new role as a half leader of this team. Uh, what, what do you make of this? I think it's fabulous. I love the way that Matthew articulates a race. I've been in the uh, in the team car with Matt White when uh, Heyman first joined the team and um, they were just getting used to the rhythm of Matthew uh, uh, Heyman, not Matt White, who's the stalwart of the team. But, uh, and, and Heyman came up to the window and just said, okay, we've got four guys down the road. And he gave a perfect summary and not out of breath, really clear. Um, and, and there was just a very articulate 
um, considered and and rich appraisal of the race circumstance, which, to be honest, on this day when I was in the team car, it was quite chaotic. But he was completely calm, collected. Okay, what we want to do is put someone here, do this, do that, manage the circumstance, which is exactly what you want from a road captain. So uh, Matthew Hayman's of the similar generation of Michael Rogers, who fell into that kind of position, uh, someone who understood race craft, understood where you had to be at what time. If there are echelons forming, Matt Heyman will know when they're going to go. He's a master of, you know, the, the minor detail. But it has been windy in Dusseldorf. I don't see it being terribly windy going to Liège, going on tradition. So I don't think echelons is going to be the thing, but it's just managing positioning and making sure that Esteban's safe and making sure that Simon's out of uh, Simon uh, Yates is out of trouble and different things like that. I think if Simon Gerrans was here and he was assigned a, a role as a uh, road captain, it would be a similar way, but they manage themselves entirely differently. What, what about uh, this this idea that now Ulrika Scott has changed the, the tactic? They used to go like like Matthew just said in the interview. They used to go for for sprinters for you know the the, the explosion on one day and then try to grab and surprise everyone to be more of a more traditional, I would say, approach and a bit more a bit less aggressive. What do you make of this? I spoke with Shane Bannon, who's the manager of Orica Scott, uh, just before the time trial in Dusseldorf, and I said to him, what's it like being a GC team? And he said, no, 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 let's be clear. We're, we're morphing. We're into a GC team. Well, Matthew said they are a GC team, so they've got to get some agreements here. No, well, that's it. I mean, it's cycling. So there's, there's always ways and means of, of, of stretching your perception. But, I mean, Shane is aware that they have enormous potential as a GC team, but it's still... And Esteban is, is, is the man, and Adam proved last year at the Tour de France what a versatile uh, lineup they do have. And I think that they should start chest beating and saying, we are, we're coming in, we're, we're, not, on, we're not morphing into one, we are a genuine GC team, let's be proud. Let's, um, you know, start to make people pay attention to what potential exists. We, I was, uh, just before I spoke to Shane Bannon, we watched the reaction of Colombians Uh, fans when Esteban turned up in his with his hoodie on and he looked as happy as ever I mean he's never there's never not smiling this guy it, it lifted it buoyed the spirits of, of, of everyone around the team bus just just hearing this passionate chanting by Esteban's fans um, and I think that Australians all start to feel similar um, enthusiasm for, for the nature of Esteban, the way he races, the way he presents himself. And uh, my hope is that he's really um, fighting for, for the podium in the final week and, and that Orica Scott becomes that GC team that Matthew Heyman says they are and, Matt, and Shane Bannon says they're approaching. Uh, let's talk about BMC now and then I had a chance to, to talk to uh, Jim Oakwich and we talk about Are, are, are BMC ready to support Richie Porte? You bet they are. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Richie Porte being the favorite on this Tour de France. You've been there with Cadel Evans when, uh, when Cadel won that Tour. How do you guys approach this, this Tour this year? Well, you know, the approach is, is started some time ago. So we've been preparing for this since last December when actually when we selected the, the, the full roster of nine riders. Uh, which was in itself quite a surprise that we picked that team back in December, worked with them all spring, put them through a series of races and training camps, and here we are today with the same group. So it's, it's been a, a, a well-prepared uh, strategic operation in terms of getting to this point for the start of the tour. 
Uh, Richie, along the way, has won many races uh, and shown great, great promise uh, as recently as two weeks ago in, in Dauphine Libre. So uh, the team is ready. Richie's ready. And, uh, you know, that's basically been the way we've had to set up the whole season. We've been preparing for this race. Um, uh, we've got a lot of lot, we have a lot of ambition and we've got a lot of a lot of lofty goals to get to. But uh, we've been there before, like you said, with Cadell. We think we've got the, the right mix and the right uh, temperament and the right experience and the right leader in Richie Port. How do you react when there's a lot of talks of people going and say, yeah, Richie is the favorite, but he may not have the team to back him up? You know, time will tell. The answer to that will, will come by itself. We think we have a good team. We're, like I said, we're well prepared. These are professional athletes that uh, work hard and that have high skills in many different areas, all of which will be an asset to Richie somewhere, place and time during the next three weeks. And so you can't measure us until it's over. And last question, how, do, how does Richie feel with this, I'd say, this big target on the back as one of the potential winners? Is he, he seems very rested. He seems very comfortable, mature, into uh, being one of the, the favorites. Well, if you don't have confidence in yourself, who else, who else is going to? So uh, he's very confident. He's very well prepared. He's been on the tour before in different roles. He's now here as a sole team leader. This is a first chance for him to do that. And so I believe he's ready. You see that confidence. He, he exhibits it all the time. There isn't a break in that, uh, in that armor. And uh, he's going there with, uh, with everything he's got. Uh, back with Rob here in the podcast. Uh, in, in this introduction, I said, you bet they are. They are so ready to support Richie Port. Absolutely. I mean... There was a strange approach last year where they declared that there were two leaders with TJ and Richie, but that's old news, so we don't need to even reference that, pardon me. Um, but uh, uh, Richie, in my mind, turned up to the tour this year as the favourite for the title. And I, I, you know, je suis un optimiste, but uh, I, I think it's important to uh, not consider uh, setbacks that he's had in the past indicative of what Richie is like as a racer, as a, as a, as a leader. I think... He's, um, he's got a, a demeanour which uh, will rally the troops. He um, has a friendly manner with people who, who, are, who are around him. Someone who, 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 who will do everything that he can to help someone who has proven that they have the, the goods to take on the, the quest for the yellow jersey. And Rich is in that position. Um, how much uh, Cadell is still around that team and how much can he actually coach uh, Richie in, in becoming that extra 5% mentally stronger to, to win this yellow jersey with his experience? It's difficult for me to answer that one because I don't um, understand the dynamic that Cadell plays in that team in, entirely. I'm not sure if he's has much advice for Richie. Um, and I think Richie does his own thinking, to be frank. And I know that there are lessons in the past, particularly, for example, Richie's first Grand Tour was the Giro in 2010, and he won the white jersey, and Cadell won the points jersey that year, I think. Either way, they, they, they were not... Another one for Twitter to check. <laughs> they were not on the same team, but they um, spent time at the podium and, um, and and Richie told me way back then, seven years ago, that Cadell was still offering advice and um, this is how you manage the pressure, this is how you sort of conserve your energy, this is how you do X, Y and Z. Although I'm sort of saying I'm not certain, I think that Richie is, is very much his own leader. Uh, Cadell has had an influence throughout Richie's career. Um, but there are a lot of people involved in the success of 2011 who are still around in 2017 and um, 
I think, uh, you know, Rich is, I, I, I remain uh, convinced that he still is the favourite. He, the, the time trial isn't an indicative of what we can expect from him. Okay, we take a short break and then we'll come back. We are heading to uh, Liège tonight. Uh, we'll have a look at what we can expect. Zwift is an indoor cycling platform where you can connect with a global community of cyclists at any time. You can chat with people all over the world, share in group rides, get encouragement from total strangers, ride on, who quickly become your new riding buddies and train harder and faster with competition on a global scale. Check out Zwift for yourself at Zwift.com today. Welcome back on to the uh, Zwift Tour de France podcast. Uh, before we start talking about Liège, I had a, a quick chat with a, a Belgian journalist. Uh, his name is Jan-Peter de Vilge. That's my best uh, impression of a Belgian accent. I uh, don't know if I'm right or wrong. Twitter will uh, tell me as well. But let's have a listen to what he has to say about, uh, from a Belgian point of view, coming into uh, this Tour de France. Crowd-wise, it will be big. It will be very big. Um, if you compare it with uh, the 2012 uh, tour, uh, the Grand Depart of the tour, then that was the first stage. Uh, there were 200,000 people uh, next to, uh, uh, I think, a, a six-kilometer uh, track. So that was uh, was massive. Like the things you have in in Australia, like on Wilunga Hill, it will be very, very similar, and maybe with an, a few extra rows of people uh, next to the roads. What about the Belgian people in cycling? It's a love affair that 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 been almost centuries. That's still very much the case. Yes, we have an everlasting love uh, for cycling. It's interesting to see if you go to Germany, where it's been uh, on and off apparently the the relationship with cycling. In Belgium, we have all the same the same uh, things that happen to cycling, all the bad things that happen, but that doesn't take any anything away of the, the love people have for cycling. And uh, the other thing is that Liège is very close to, uh, to Holland, so many people will travel in from Holland. It doesn't matter if you live far from, uh, from Liège in, in Belgium or not, everybody travels with a train or by bus to, to go and see the race, so everybody will be there. So that was uh, Jan-Peter de Vilger. Interesting to see what we are just heard about the fact that the Belgium didn't lose interest in uh, those years where the dark years of, uh, of doping in cycling, where the German lost interest. We discussed that yesterday as well, the fact that you not know, even TV was showing the Tour de France and now they're back. What you, what you make of this? this because they, I mean, it's only 100 kilometers away from here. Yeah. We're in Belgium, but completely different aspect on, on, on their take on, on this. Yeah, but you look at the culture of Belgium and Germany, it's an entirely different thing. I wonder about different th different reasons for it, but uh, I think everyone in Europe has a passion for cycling to some extent. There, there, there is an understanding of it. It's been, it is around in Germany. There was a, there was a, a hiatus in Germany for a little while, but they... With, with the arrival of riders like Marcel Kittel and the confirmation of Andre Greipel's talents and, of course, Tony Martin and, you know, there's a long list. To, so the, the, the riders have, uh, are still there. They have a, a strength and a, a certain appeal. They're very uh, charismatic. But I guess you, you tell me, and this is my theory, on, on why it evolved the way that it didn't, did in Germany so there was that, that amazing halcyon time of 97 when Ulrich won and there was just like so many t German broadcasters in the compound that you just you know you thought they actually owned the tour um, and then it just dropped off because of the, the thing but in that time uh, they won a football world cup or probably two and uh, and and for all of cycling's uh, uh, appeal 
in Germany, if you are winning at football, then you're pretty much satisfied, aren't you? So they had other sporting... Uh, yeah, there's been a Michael Schumacher, there's been a Vettel as well, uh, like they've been dominating Formula One for a long time as well. Yeah, well, that's it. And it's, it's clear that, you know, Germans have plenty of options when it comes to cheering. And Belgium, Belgium is, is, is such a unique uh, sphere in the, in the cycling space because they, they've had... Tom Boone and they've got an endless list of, of, of superstars who have really appealed to, uh, to the, the, the generic sports fan and their football team, although they have a presence in the Euro and they have a presence at times in the, in the, um, in the World Cup, they're not winning the title. So they're not putting a star on their jersey and, and in football. And so they, they, they remain, um, the, the, the appeal that comes from, they're on the Van Flanderen and the Age Best on the Age and they will come and all of those races that are so much part of classic float folklore. That seems to, you know, uh, it, 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 it continues past April into May and, 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 and the love of cycling is evident. I'd, Uh, Liège, we of course know Liège from uh, Liège-Bastogne-Liège. Liège has also been uh, hosting a finish line for the 11th time. I think it's going to be the 11th time that Liège is, a, is the host of a finish. Uh, but don't get me wrong, tonight we will not see a finish like Liège-Bastogne-Liège. It's going to be a long straight, one kilometer. There's no... Almost, almost. We are 100% sure it's going to be a bunch, uh, a bunch sprint, unless there's a surprise. I mean, it was always a possible surprise, but this is the sort of finish we're looking for tonight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Liège, based on Liège, has the title of Liège as the finish, but it finishes in Ans, which is a, a suburb nearby. And uh, and the, the race organisers were at pains to point out when they were unveiling the route that although that it ends in Liège, it's not uh, the roller coaster ride that Liège based on Liège is. It's not the undulation of the Ardennes. They've they've mapped a course through, largely through the valley, so that it is one a stage that suits the sprinters. And uh, there's still two category four climbs in in that stage. Could that make a difference or not? Not really. No. Pretty, I would confidently say no. <laughs> I think you know when when uh, you know even Cavendish we went to see what what comes of his uh, battle with the virus this year. If he declares that he's up, he'll get over category fours without a problem. The pace will be on, of course, but the, the, the sprinters will manage themselves. And generally, if they declare it to be a sprinter stage, it's going to be. Uh, Gans Thomas is going to be uh, yellow tonight. Um, are we likely to see him in yellow for quite a while? Well, I think what we saw from Michael Matthews in the time, in the time trial in Dusseldorf is, is uh, a, a small hint of what we can expect in the first week. So there's, a, there's some time bonuses on offer. Um, and I don't think Sky... Sky will be uh, diligent. They have to be diligent. They would have been even if they didn't have the yellow jersey. They would make sure that Chris Froome's out of trouble. They'll, and, and now they'll still be at the front. But when it's time for the sprint teams to take over, they'll do that. And Sunweb's come here with a committed approach for Michael Matthews. I think they'll be chasing the time bonuses. He had a really good time trial. He lost a handful of seconds, really, in effect. If he's time trialling that well, this kid is in form. He's not a kid anymore, excuse me. But Michael is... is um, I'm so impressed with his approach to his racing. When he declares that he has a goal, he often goes out and achieves it. I don't think any Australian will forget the way that he won the under-23 world title in 2010. It was just an you know, emphatic display of strength and cunning and power and everything that, that, that made it such a fantastic win. And um, he's not far down from uh, the jersey. Uh, so let's, let's, let's dress things up for the Australian audience. 
a good day for Michael Matthews today could be a stage win and the yellow jersey. Okay, but we hold you uh, to it tomorrow. No, we'll see. <laughs> Now, everyone, thank you. Thank you, Roy. It was a real pleasure to have you in the podcast. And that is it for us for this uh, episode two of our Zwift uh, Tour de France podcast. Let me remind you that if it's an episode two, there is an episode one for you to listen to, and there will be an episode three up to episode 20, uh, 23. We'll be uh, all the way to Paris with you on the Zwift Tour de France podcast. My name is Christophe Mallet. I was your host. I hope you enjoyed uh, this podcast. If you did, and if you do, uh, let me remind you that you can always share it on social media and tag the Cycling Central Twitter or Facebook account with the hashtag SBSTDF. And you can also give a shout out to our friends at Zwift. This is it for now. I will catch up with you in episode three tomorrow. For now, it's au revoir from Belgium. Au revoir.